amid the demonstrators, those demonstrators in those yellow helmets as the riot police seem to move forward. There you can see them trying to scatter the protesters and I suppose ultimately to clear them out of the legislature, the uh, legislative council, this assembly building where the protesters forced their way in earlier on today. Having besieged the building for hours, they then broke through the glass um, while a large crowd uh, gathered Hong Kong's anti-extradition protests escalated on July 1st when a small group of protesters broke away from the larger main protest and chose to storm the Legislative Council building on Hong Kong Island. For me, this change in the nature of opposition to the extradition bill brought to mind the following question. Do the people who are denouncing the protests have a point? In the previous episode on the Hong Kong extradition protests, I gave the historical background to both the protests and the general anti-mainland sentiment that exists in Hong Kong society, and that has arguably been growing as Beijing's influence continues to grow. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, I highly suggest that you do, as it provides a lot of the context for this episode. I tried to maintain an objective stance and stick to the facts, but even I noticed that there was probably more of a pro-protest lean throughout the podcast, largely due to the sources that I used to help me put it together. I think it's important that we understand that there are two sides to this issue, not just in terms of different officials and lawmakers arguing amongst themselves, or the government versus the people, but also among the ordinary people of Hong Kong. Obviously, most Western media outlets are biased in favour of the protesters for a number of reasons, including the fact that the rights and freedoms that we enjoy in the West are more in alignment with those in Hong Kong than those in China. So in this episode, my aim is to try and understand the pro-government stance, and much like the previous episode, not to try and state whether this stance is right or wrong, but rather to inform you guys, the audience, about the whole issue without leaving anything out. In general, I would say that there are two broad categories of criticism when it comes to the protests. So the first group basically say that people are politicising the interpretation of the extradition bill in order to stir up public sentiment, which is tantamount to spreading misinformation about the nature of Hong Kong-China relations. The other argument is that outside forces, such as the US government, are meddling in local Hong Kong affairs to create these riots. So what I want to do is try and cover both of these viewpoints from a number of different perspectives. First, I want to discuss the official response from the mainland, mainly taken from news articles in Chinese outlets discussing opposition to the bill and following the timeline of events. Then I want to discuss some opinions of the mainland Chinese people that I found online mainly through messaging boards and forums. Finally, I want to discuss the opposition to the protests from actual Hong Kongers, though a lack of reliable sources for this section will hopefully go some way to furthering my point about the one-sided nature of the coverage of these protests from both a local and a Western perspective. If you look at different countries in the world, there are always problems. In China, as I mentioned, there are problems. Our task is to really identify the problem and get the problems resolved and improved, rather than weaning and whining uh, and the bark at the wrong tree. Hong Kong, whatever it is, is part of China. And mainland China does not need to do anything but to declare that by 2049, Hong Kong will no longer be a special administrative region. Hong Kong will be just one of the cities in China. Then whatever you are complaining about, 
will be dealt with very effectively. Oh. Therefore, the task is for people in Hong Kong to really wake up to the fact that Hong Kong is part of China and let's work together to get the... So that clip that you've just heard is from an interview debate on the Al Jazeera YouTube channel. And if you're interested in hearing the whole thing, then you can find a link in the description of this episode. The reason that I chose that clip in particular is because I think it does a pretty good job of summarising the official Chinese government's stance on recent events. The official response to the protests from Beijing has been pretty consistent from the start of June until very recently. They expressed their support for Hong Kong's legislature and the chief executive Carrie Lam in trying to make what they see as essential amendments to the Fugitives' Ordinance. Beijing and pro-Beijing outlets have pointed out that the amendment bill is necessary to stop Hong Kong from becoming a haven for criminals, and that, in fact, the majority of Hong Kong people agree with this change. According to the China-Taiwan Network, which is a Beijing-based news website managed by the Taiwan Affairs Bureau, quote, Hong Kong has long been a money-laundering centre and a spy centre in the Far East, both before and after reunification. The Fugitive Offenders Ordinance is aimed at criminals such as corrupt officials who have fled Hong Kong from mainland China and foreigners who engage in illegal activities in Hong Kong. In other words, if this ordinance is passed, it will help Hong Kong's social stability and reduce crime. If it fails, more criminals will escape to Hong Kong or be sheltered in Hong Kong. Is this a good thing for ordinary residents of Hong Kong? Is Hong Kong wanting to be the criminal capital that attracts criminals and becomes a spy paradise? Unquote. Most mainland outlets also stress that the wording of the amendment is actually in line with international standards, as well as emphasising the productive nature of cooperation. For example, an article in the China Daily states, The opposition camp has never mentioned the fact that, despite the lack of an official agreement on mutual legal assistance, judicial departments on the mainland have handed over many criminal suspects wanted in Hong Kong on serious charges over the years. Handing over these fugitives has certainly helped Hong Kong curb cross-boundary crimes and maintain its reputation as one of the safest cities in the world. I like how this sort of contradicts the previous statement as well, that Hong Kong is a haven for criminals. It's interesting to see that even though most of these outlets are at least in some way controlled by the mainland and take a lot of their cues from the government, they don't always necessarily agree with each other or make sense in a coherent manner. The Chinese mainland government also denounces the biased nature of foreign media, as well as any violence on part of the protesters. But they also supported the Hong Kong government's decision to suspend the bill as announced on June 15th. It seems that the mainland media mainly presents the Chinese government's position as wanting to maintain stability, improve the situation in Hong Kong to prevent chaos, and generally standing behind and backing up the local government. They also point out that by respecting the Hong Kong government's decision to suspend the bill, Beijing is upholding its promise to protect the rights and autonomy of the Hong Kong people, which is enshrined in the one country, two systems policy between the two jurisdictions. Also, Chinese outlets don't necessarily condemn the protests generally, and in fact often state that they support Hong Kong's right to uphold its tradition of pluralism and inclusiveness and its freedom of expression. Something that's brought up quite a lot in Chinese outlets, but not at all actually in Western outlets, is the focus on the economic impact of the unrest. China Daily noted that Hong Kong's stock market index, the Hang Seng Index, dropped 480 points, or around 1.73%, on June 12th, 
and one Hong Kong developer walked away from a land deal bid for the Kai Tak area in Kowloon, citing economic uncertainty. Regarding the first protest that ended in violence on Wednesday the 12th of June, Chinese media usually refers to this as an unauthorised assembly that broke off from the peaceful protests, ignoring police requests that they disperse. They also suggest that it was the protesters who threw the first stone, attacking the police, blocking the road, and engaging in life-threatening acts, including setting fires and attacking officers using bricks and sharpened iron poles. This is a strong contrast to other media outlets that strike a more ambivalent tone. Overall, I would say that Chinese official media, which I should add is either state-run or heavily controlled by the state, is pretty much one-sided in their reporting. Having said that, however, most other outlets that I've seen have also tended to be pretty one-sided. Do a Google search on the protests in English, and you'll be hard-pressed to find anything that strikes a balanced tone, let alone outright condemns the protests or denounces the more violent protesters. It's difficult to pinpoint exactly when the notion that foreign interference was fueling the protests began, but it may have something to do with a statement made by the spokesperson for the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, Gong Shuang. On Saturday, June 15th, he made a statement saying, any attempts to create chaos in Hong Kong and disrupt its prosperity and stability will certainly be opposed by all the Chinese people, including our Hong Kong compatriots. This was apparently in response to comments made by members of the US Congress with regard to the situation in Hong Kong, which Gung characterised as irresponsible and meddling in China's internal affairs. At one point, he asked America to, quote, abandon delusions of creating chaos in Hong Kong and stop advancing the review of the relevant amendment, essentially suggesting that America has a direct hand in shaping current events on the island. The US charged affair in China was even summoned to the ministry on the 14th of June in order to make representations, which I think we can safely assume just means explain, admit fault, and apologise. Following the Wednesday 12th of June protests, an editorial in the China Daily had this to say, Although the legislation is in accordance with the basic law, satisfies all the requirements of relevant international conventions, and suits Hong Kong's status as an international city with a mature legal system, the opposition camp and its foreign masters seem willing to oppose it for their own purposes at the expense of the city's rule of law, public safety, and justice. This idea of foreign interference has since been picked up by other observers, including people in Hong Kong, which we'll get into a bit later. First, let's look at what some mainland commenters have to say on some of China's public chat rooms and discussion forums. So I used mainly Chinese messaging boards and forums as a resource here because they were really the only reliable source of ordinary mainland opinion that I could find. And I was quite surprised to find that most views on the issue were quite mixed. I was surprised at how open people were in putting forward what must be relatively controversial views in everyday Chinese society, especially considering the fact that they were on a public platform. First, I should point out that while the posters on the sites I looked at all seem to have access to outside news or information sources, the vast majority of Chinese people get their news from state-run media, and so the views I'm discussing here are not representative of the majority of China. This is just so that we can get a flavour of what kind of discussion is taking place on the mainland in general. So I was quite caught by one discussion thread which was called Let me summarise what the opposition in Hong Kong is opposing about revisions to the Fugitive Ordinance Act. 
On this thread, it seemed that most people believed that the protests in Hong Kong were significant, but they all seemed to think so for different reasons. The OP, or original poster, started off the thread by saying that the Hong Kong opposition immediately politicised the amendment, claiming that the Chinese mainland could extradite political prisoners from Hong Kong in accordance with the new ordinance in the future, thereby combating freedom of speech in Hong Kong. However, he added, people cannot be extradited for crimes related to speech, including with regard to news, academia and publications. This amendment is completely normal legislative action. So following this initial post, I was surprised to see that many people either disagreed with him or took a more nuanced stance on the issue. One poster pointed out that to have several hundred thousand people out of a population of seven million protesting is no small thing, and to dismiss it would be naive. He added that while sovereignty cannot be challenged, public opinion cannot be ignored, and a regime that relied on enforcing legitimacy through the barrel of a gun will only lose credibility. Other posters agreed, pointing out that the protests were mainly orderly and that people just wanted to have their say. However, on the other side, another poster hit back, stating that it was the responsibility of the Hong Kong government to bring their laws in line with the Chinese judiciary, as it has already been part of China for more than 20 years, and they're no longer living in, quote, a British dream. In response to that, someone else pointed out that the government still needs the support of the people, no matter who they are or what they do. One person pointed out that it was also naive to think that people were just worried about the law itself. He called out the fact that what people really feared wasn't the letter of the law, but the fact that it may be abused. He wrote, It is the confrontation caused by the differences between the system of free rule and dictatorship, of democracy and socialism. This confrontation has become more and more prominent in the 20 years after the reunification, and the one country's two systems rule has been completely abused over the past two decades, bringing China and Hong Kong closer together rather than maintaining the status quo. Again, I found that the topic of foreign influence was brought up quite a lot. One person said, The Hong Kong people who do not know the truth have been used by hostile forces outside the country. Although he didn't actually name the hostile forces, or where they come from, what they do. Other people agreed, saying, The Hong Kong opposition is doing something malicious with support of the West. As we all know, under Western-style democratic system, there is often a market for malicious things, which turns things that are not things into big things. Basically saying that Westerners have the capacity to blow things out of proportion because we have democracy, which, okay, I guess. At the very least, it seems that a lot of anti-protest comments seem to blame a foreign mindset on the trouble. On another board, one poster stated that China has sovereignty over Hong Kong. These troublemakers are still living in the colonial era of extraterritoriality and should be punished. They have no sense of patriotism and they advocate that Hong Kong is higher or better than the Chinese nation, which is completely wrong. Other forums and threads that I looked at often defended the Hong Kong people as a whole, calling them good and patriotic, but pointed out that the protesters were mainly young people who were being manipulated by mysterious outside forces or an improper education. Some even went as far to say that the younger generation was a lost cause, and that was why so many of them were looking to emigrate abroad. I'll have a bit more to say on intergenerational gaps in thought from both the mainland and Hong Kong families in the next episode, 
where I get to sit down with two of my friends and talk about their experiences with the protests and what their families think of what's going on. In general, however, while most people did not seem to hate Hong Kong, I got the feeling that people were kind of tired of what they saw as special treatment for Hong Kongers. To them, Hong Kongers kind of seemed really ungrateful, considering that Hong Kong's trade and other assets could easily be replaced by a mid-tier Chinese city in today's economic terms. When it came to finding local Hong Kong support for the bill, or opposition to the protests, I have to admit the mainstream media has really come up short. The only piece of in-depth coverage I could find was of a counter-protest set up by various pro-government associations on June 26th in response to a march by anti-extradition protesters to 19 different consulates to ask for foreign support ahead of the G20 conference. The pro-Beijing march of around 200 people visited the US, British and German consulates, as well as the EU office in Hong Kong, with petition letters to demand that they stop meddling in Hong Kong and China's internal affairs. According to Hong Kong Free Press, one of the organisers of the march said, quote, The US government unusually expressed opinions about Hong Kong frequently over the past two months. Are there ulterior motives? You can tell that the US wants to use Hong Kong to beat China in the trade war. There was also some coverage of the Celebration Association's feud with the anti-government protesters over the use of Victoria Park to hold their yearly demonstration on July 1st. The Hong Kong Celebrations Association, which holds a yearly festival to commemorate the city's handover to China, uses the football pitches of Victoria Park, while the other yearly demonstration, which protests the handover, takes place starting in the same park on the same day every year. However, due to recent events, the protesters rightly believed that the attendance numbers would be too big to share the space effectively. Human Rights Front, which organises the protest, asked the Celebrations Association to move, citing the possibility of clashes between two politically polarised groups. In the end, the Celebration Association got to keep their space, but it actually ended up being to their own detriment, as 23 of the 35 booths for the festival closed early due to lack of attendees, and many people left early in the afternoon as crowds for the protest swelled. According to the China Daily, 100 demonstrators gathered outside the US consulate on the 16th of June to, quote, condemn foreign entities for stirring up the youth against the extradition bill. One of the parents among the protesters also demanded that schools and teachers stop trying to influence their children to oppose the bill, as such blatant incitement went against the school's principle of protecting students and training them to think independently. One BuzzFeed article I read that discussed how the protests were creating a rift between one young protester and his father seemed interesting at first, but I found that as I continued to read, they didn't really go into much detail as to why the father seemed to be against opposing the government, apart from the fact that his brother is a policeman. This attitude seems to be in keeping with the older generation in general, however, as from what I've heard from some local protesters, their parents also didn't agree with them attending the protests. They think that they're a bad idea and they don't really want their children getting involved and possibly getting in trouble or even arrested. This is a topic that I'll be able to get into in more detail in the next episode, including how the types of media that people use influences their perspective on the situation. This difficulty that I had in finding the voice of the opposition to the protests amongst ordinary Hong Kongers I found that really interesting because despite the huge turnout at these protests, obviously the majority of the population was at least neutral on the matter, 
or opposed the protests to varying degrees. I have to admit, it might be my lack of fluency in Cantonese that's holding me back in this case, but it also may be that the majority of people consider themselves to be the relatively silent majority. Apart from some very stern criticism from online forums like Quora, or the comment sections on articles from sites like the SCMP, it's quite clear that the Western, or at least English language media, hasn't really given much of a voice to those who don't think that the protests are the best way to deal with the situation. This is especially surprising given the most recent developments in the situation. Since the July 1st invasion of the Legislative Council by certain protesters following the peaceful protest by the majority of participants earlier that same day, detractors of the opposition now actually have a leg to stand on when they claim that the protesters are lawless and that some force should be used to control future protests that might descend into chaos. I was able to sit down with a protester who attended the July 1st protest until late and talk to him about the impact of these developments on the movement overall. We also had a great discussion about many other things, including the real meaning behind the protests, life in Hong Kong, relations with the mainland, and even the possibility of his moving away from home forever. It was a really fruitful conversation that actually helped me learn a lot about how locals perceive not only the recent protests, but also how Hong Kong has changed and will continue to change until full reunification with China in 2047. So tune in next week if you're interested in hearing more about that. That's it for this week. Thanks very much for listening.